So good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. It's an auspicious occasion, Srila Jiva Goswami's disappearance today. Um, so I was wanting to speak just for a couple minutes about the significance of the gratitude that one would show to somebody of, of that caliber. Srila Jiva Goswami, I mean, Apoorva Acharya is somebody that's poured out his heart into the Gaudiya Vaishnav community and contributed so much to the spiritual nourishment, the foundation upon which we build our practice. So all the Purva Acharyas, how to show appreciation to them. Of course, we can read their books. That's an appreciation. We can associate with them through their literatures. But what what kind of relationship with the Purvacharya is there until one actually is on the spiritual platform, which we are all aspiring to be on. So to, to, to rise to that level of uh, immersion in samadhi where one can enter into and directly associate with, with the Goswamis or Vishwanath, directly have their darshan that's that's uh, seems from my perspective uh, lifetimes away so how to show appreciation today uh, you know we, we we honor these appearance and disappearance days we speak about them we speak about you know the nature of their lives and their contribution and what they you know what their time period and what they accomplished in in their in their sangha at, at the in their day, what they were confronted with and how they dealt with it, and we we see that in their writings, like in studying the Sandarbas, we're seeing a Jeff a general a very concerned effort by Jiva Goswami to deal with you know the the misconceptions of his day. Dwayton philosophy and the, the Brahmavad, the people that don't see the Supreme, don't see beyond the effulgence of the Supreme to the personality that's that's there, dealing uh, with the arguments of the other transcendental, uh, other transcendentalists of the time. So we see that comes through in his writing. It comes through that this is this is okay, but Really, you should look at bhakti. It's so much deeper. It's so much more rewarding. It's so much more fulfilling. And if we look carefully and logically and scripturally at your arguments in support of your conception of the supreme reality, yeah, let me pick, let's look at that. And we see he continually brings up, you know, points again and again to show there's some shortcomings when you see a short don't she see the complete picture and i think the in the scripture there is a much more complete picture that you would 
benefit from. So he confronts them. So, um, what do we do? We're here, we're studying Jiva Goswami, we're, we're, we're blessed with a, a contemporary uh, Vaishnav sadhu who's able to give us a, a very comprehensive presentation in English. So, that's where our appreciation begins. We're in the line of disciplic succession. So, it's from teacher to student, from student becomes the teacher, and then takes on students. So we we offer our respects and our gratitude through the chain of disciplic succession. We offer that gratitude because we can't follow uh, Krishna's directive in Bhagavad Gita. We can't have a relationship with a Purva Acharya, a prior Acharya, a prior Guru, a prior Sadhu within the line. We can't have a direct relationship with them. Uh, our Srila Prabhupada used to say, you, you can't jump over. And uh, unfortunately, that's, that's a problem with the current, in the current community of Western and Vaishnavas. This whole conception of, you know, confronted with so many, um, not to go deeply in it, but confronted with so many problems after the demise of somebody as significant and so empowered as uh, Ashrila Prabhupada, uh, uh, the reaction has been too much in the wrong direction. So there's still a prevalence, even in the gurus, some of the gurus, my god brothers who have taken on disciples, there's this thing that, well, let me pass, really, just take shelter of Prabhupada. That's not disciplic succession. Tadvidi pranipatena pariprasnena sevaya upadakshanti te gyanam janinas tatvadarsina. We render service and we inquire submissively. Um, we can't, future generations can't render that service that Krishna's talking about. Of course, you can come up with all kinds of convoluted ideas like, well, the institution is the body of the guru. Yeah, I just, I don't, haven't seen that anywhere in scripture. I've been reading the books for a few years now and I've not I've yet to come across a statement that the the moth of the guru is the guru and should be seen as the body of the guru. So uh, that isn't to contradict a statement that here or there that Prabhupada may have said in a certain circumstance in order to accomplish a certain sense of, um, um, of community and cooperation amongst his disciples but it's not a it's not a scripturally a scriptural foundation it's a detail it's it's a way of looking at things that helps foster a sense of uh, a sense of community 
but to take to turn that and make it into into a tattva, and based on that tattva, uh, encourage. He said he said more than he ever said. Is the institution is is my body? He said many more times. You can't jump over the guru. <laughs> he said in a much more powerful way. Uh, you know the necessity of accepting a bona fide spiritual master, rendering service unto him, sitting and, and hearing from him. So this is the real is the real methodology of disciplic succession. And we have to serve uh, someone like uh, Srila Jiva Goswami and show our gratitude through being grateful to the current link, to our spiritual master, to our sadhus, to the association of devotees. So I wanted to share with you before we begin with our Sandarbha talks today a little something from the Jiva Dharma, uh, chapter 8. And the reason, I don't know why this came up in, con- in the context of Jiva's disappearance, but it just struck me as we're striving to advance and deepen our understanding through through these sandarbas. I mean, this has been an ex- this is a this is a you know an interesting ride here we're going on. We're three years into studying the sandarbas and you know two hundred classes. I mean, it's a lot. We've, we've covered a lot, and I think we've all benefited. Uh, from it, I know I have, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen to what little bit I can contribute. So this sense of of this statement from the Jiva Dharma is in relation to separating the wheat from the chaff, separating the pakrita bhakta, the materialistic devotee, from the True, true spiritual aspirant. So Jiva Dharma addresses this uh, in its eighth chapter. The eighth chapter is uh, Nitya Dharma and Vaishnava behavior. And uh, the discussion at hand is, is being delivered by uh, Vaishnava Das Baramaji, uh, I'm sorry, Babaji, uh, in the context of the narration. So. Uh, something about the fact that this is a transcendental novel and do not think, we should not think that these personalities do not exist in reality. We've heard that. (laughs) So, Vaishnav Das is speaking and he's talking about the the distinction between the Kanishta and the Majjhimadakari. And I think that what struck me is if we're going to show appreciation, the greatest appreciation we can show is at least bringing ourselves to this standard of transcendental consciousness, to, to bring ourselves to the standard of the Madhya And it's 
shouldn't be that difficult for us to do according to what's given here. So I'm going to read a couple things and hopefully they'll benefit us. Mm. Those who have adopted the path of bhakti may be divided into three categories. Kanista, neophyte, Majjam, intermediate, and Uttama, topmost. Kanistas are those who have embarked upon the path of bhakti but are not yet true bhaktas. Then a definition is given from the Srimad Bhagavatam, 11th canto. A verse is quoted. One who faithfully worships the deity's form of Sri Hari, but does not render service to his bhaktas or to other living beings, is a prakrita bhakti, a materialistic devotee. The narration continues. Thus it is established. When I say the narration continues, this is you know, Vaishnav Das Babaji speaking in an assembly of sadhus. Thus it is established that Shraddha is the beej or seed of bhakti. One's bhakti is only effective when he worships Bhagavan with Shraddha, and it is still not Sudha bhakti unless he worships the bhaktis, bhaktas as well. Bhakti does not develop thoroughly as long as he fails to do so. This type of bhakti has barely entered the doorway of the practice of bhakti. So the the one that's only worshipping the deity, that's always only seeing the deity in 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 in, in the temple and, and not recognizing the significance of the of the of the of the the Lord's devotees, that's that's the dividing line between Kanista and Manjumarikar. Um I'll just read a couple other things here. Um, if one is to worship the deity with Sambandha Gyan, then one must worship Krishna and serve the bhaktas at the same time. If one is to worship the deity with Sambandha Gyan, what's Sambandha Gyan? That's a firm grounding, a philosophical grounding in what's going on, in, in what you're doing in worshiping the deity. So if you're to worship the deity with a firm grounding, Sambandhagyan, then one must worship Krishna and serve the bhaktas at the same time. This type of adoration and respect for Chinmaya Tattva, the transcendental reality, which is endowed with Shraddha, is known as Shastriya Shraddha, faith based on scripture, Shastra. Worship the deity that lacks this unequivocal knowledge of the interrelationship between the different aspects of the transcendental reality is simply founded on laukika, shraddha, customary or traditional regards. Such worship is not Sudha bhakti. So it's a simple 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 thing but significant that this is the dividing line between a Kanista mentality and a Majjama mentality. The primary dividing line is how much we appreciate the Sangha of devotees. How much we see and that's what we're studying right now. 
where Jiva is teaching us Paramatma is pervading everything. Adjust your vision. All you have to do is refocus the lens. We're just, we're seeing, and that's the annotators that we're going to come into in the next, this, this, in the next class, probably more than this class, uh, deals with this. It's just, it's just an angle of vision. People are seeing the world through their mind's eye. So what, what actually is formu formulating the way we see the world? The same eye is there in the materialist and in the devotee. It's the same physical properties. This, you know. So what's the different in sight? So what what actually is a vision of the world? It's the way, the way the heart it, it interacts with the world, and that's where we left off in the last Anucheta, with Paladmaraj's, you know, his prayer to Lord Nisringadev. The way he, the way you should see the world, the way the heart should experience the form of the Lord everywhere. Prahlad is the only one that could approach Lord Nisringadev, that fearful form. Even, even the other devotees who had come and were aware of the situation were like, I don't know how to. I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. Prahlad says, oh, it's just mine. I don't, I'm, he, he, he's, what? So what, for whatever form Krishna takes, that's, that's a glorious thing, you know. I could sit on his lap and, you know, I don't care if he's wearing a garland of intestines, it's still my Lord, you know. <laughs> Whether it's flowers or, or bloody intestines, it's, it's, it's transcendental to me. So, a couple words on uh, on the way I I'm perceiving this the gratitude and how we can express this gratitude in, in in the assembly of devotees through the transparent by media of our guru with with service and sincere inquiry and then then the door. We, sh we shouldn't stay on the tr threshold of the door of bhakti. We want to go in, and that's, that's the threshold. The threshold is between the kanista, the pakriti bhakti, the, the, the materialistic devotee and the spiritual devotee. And the dividing line is how much we can appreciate the sadhus and the, and the assembly of devotees that, that Krishna's blessed us with. So we're going on to the 68th Anucheda. Paramatma is distinct from Maya, Jagat, and the Jiva. We've gone over Paramatma's everywhere and everything. And to not see through that lens is, is to what? To be in delusion. Well, where are we going now? Paramatma's not everything. You just told me he was everything, and you supported that with scriptural evidence. So now we're going back. Well, he is, but he's more than that. That's the points that are going. We're coming into now. He is everything, 
He is everywhere, and we should see him everywhere and in everything as, and as the foundation of everything, however we look at it constituent-wise, however we look at it as far as the other living entities. Paramatma is the foundation of all. So now we're, now we're broadening our understanding. We're broadening the de- definition by, by now encompassing he is and he is beyond. So how is he beyond everything that he is? That we're the, the vision that, that we've just been speaking of. So Jiva Goswami continues here. <clears throat> he says, Now Bhagavan Kapila clarifies that Paramatma is distinct from the creation generated out of the Maya potency, from Maya and from the Jiva. So he quotes from the Bhagavatam, the following verse from the third canto, Just as fire is distinct from the sparks and smoke arising continually from the burning kindling wood, of which it is the fiery source, and just as it is distinct even from the kindling wood itself, which is taken to be identical with it, so too the self, the seer, Bhagavan, known as Brahman, is distinct from the gross elements. The eternal senses, I'm sorry, the external senses, the internal senses, Pradhan, and the self, who is called Jiva. Now Jiva Goswami explains this particular sloka from the Bhagavatam um, in his own words. The meaning is as follows. The word Umuka, a firebrand, means a handheld piece of burning kindling wood used to ignite a fire. The adjectival compound swa sambhavat, arisen from that to which it belongs, means that this burning kindling wood has fire itself as, as, as its own fiery source, which is to say that fire in its unconditional constituent cause as such the kindling wood is merely the conditional cause of the sparks and smoke so just as fire which is the constituent cause of sparks and smoke is different from both of them and just as it is also different from that very same firebrand the firebrand here means the stick uh, of which it is the constituent cause, so too Bhagavan is different from the jivas, from Pradhan, and from the material elements. So an analogy is being used to to get a point. We're we're familiar with a burning stick. He's saying, okay, so we're familiar with this. So let's talk about the Paramatma, as in a way that we can relate to something that we have familiarity with. So we have some familiarity with it. We have the stick, there's the flame, the fire itself, and we also have the sparks and the smoke. The analogy is there of the fire is actually, in this analogy, Paramatma himself, the Supreme. And we also have 
the sparks, which are the jiva, the smoke, which is the material material manifestation of maya. We also have the fire brand, which is what actually constitutes what actually constitutes in this example pradhan or the the unmanifested source of the material cosmos. So really it's the fire that's turning the fire brand, the stick, in and making a manifestation where there is the jiva, the sparks coming, and also the the smoke, the illusion, the smoke, the smoke gets in our eyes, we can't see clearly. So that's that's being compared to Maya. What is the nature of these three substances from which the fire is being differentiated? They are taken to be identical with the fire. Since they appear to have the same essential nature as fire, in that they give off heat, and even in smoke a portion of fire is directly present. In the same way, Bhagavan, who is the constituent cause, Upadan, of all categories of being, is different from the living entity, called the jiva, which is compared to a spark in the example, and from Padan, which is the conditional effulgence of Bhagavan, limited by primordial nature. I'm sorry, primordial matter, Pradhan, and here compared to a firebrand, and from the material elements, etc., which are compared to the smoke. This very Bhagavan is the self, Atma, named, namely Paramatma, who is eminent in the above three entities by his personal portion, Swamsa, and who is also sometimes called Brahman when manifesting himself simply as unqualified consciousness. To one eligible for such realization, this is because he is the seer, Drasta, the witness of the beginning, middle, and end states of all the above. He concludes this just basically uh, uh, elaborating a little bit more on his analogy. And he concludes the Anacheta proper by saying, Similarly, the seer who knows all things without limitation and who is signified by the names Paramatma, Bhagavan, and Brahman, is indeed different from the material elements, the external senses, the internal senses, and so on, for they consist of the extrinsic and intermediary potencies. So the analogy, just just to dig into the analogy a little bit, it's the fire is definitely of its own nature it's it you know it's it, it it is that potency by which there are sparks no fire no sparks no fire no smoke no fire the kindling wood has no no significance the stick cannot light itself so fire is Fire is that component which is, you can't say that the other things aren't the fire, 
because they wouldn't exist without the fire. But they're not the fire proper. And that's the analogy that's being used based on the verse uh, that Lord Kapila spoke. So we're, we're now we're now going back to the, the idea of cause and effect. Although an effect is not different from its cause, the cause is not absolutely one with the effect. There has we have to be able to to have the fine discrimination to differentiate the fact that Paramatma is pervading everything within the material manifestation, but he's still more than, just as the, the fire is more than the sparks, the fire is more than the smoke, the fire is more than the firebrand that is lit. And again, the lighting of the firebrand is significant. Pradhan sits dormant until when? Until the Paramatma aspect of the Supreme initiates his potency of time and brings Pradhan into motion. So Pradhan doesn't, doesn't, it's, what have, what have we said? It's, uh, it's inanimate. It, it has no animation until, until there is the application of, of Paramatma, until he exerts his energy in the form of time the cosmos is in suspended animation, we've said. Nothing's, nothing's going anywhere. And then once he applies his energy of time, just as once we apply whatever, whatever um, the mechanism, the fire, we start a fire with fire. Well, fire is, is of its own nature. So... It's self, we would say it's self-manifesting. That's, that's how we look at Paramatma. It's the cause of all causes, but it has itself no cause. As we go back, we go to the, the source. Well, we come to Paramatma as far as everything that we experience within our realm of our shape, Trajna, you know, we're the observer of a, of a field of activity, the Shetra. So our observance, everything within our observance goes back to, to the cause. So the cause of all causes. We hear this statement applied to the Supreme. He's the cause of all causes. Well, where, what's his cause? Well, that's called self-manifestation. He is his own cause. So we'll go on to the next Anucheta and begin that. In this next Anucheta, we're going to talk about, well, why doesn't everybody see it this way? Why doesn't everybody see that Paramatma, that the Supreme Lord, is the foundation of the entire manifestation? What, what's the difference between one who sees and one who doesn't see? So Anucheta 69, Perception of the World as Paramatma's Power. Those whose minds are not fixed on Paramatma accept only the phenomenal, asat, aspect of the universe, whose very essence is Paramatma, but those who know Paramatma accept only the 
nominal sat aspect. The Vedas personified sing of this in the verse below. Now Jiva Goswami is quoting one verse from the Song of the Personified Vedas from the 10th Canto where this is exemplified, this idea of how do people see the world? How do people perceive the world around them? What's their vision based upon? So the Shrutis say, The mind that does not abide in you, being immersed instead in the world that is a product of the three gunas, only appears to be in correspondence to the real but those who know the self recognize the entire universe up to and including the conditional forms of human beings to be real due to its being a manifestation of the self. One does not reject the modifications of gold since they are made of gold, nor do the knowers of the self reject this world since it is created by him, thereafter entered into by him, and at the time of dissolution concluded in him being non-different from the self. Now he's going to unpack this. So he goes on in his Anucheta. He, 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 he brings up a, an interesting analogy as far as the vision of the materialist. And he likens that vision of the materialist to the ladle. So the ladle is completely immersed in the curry, but has no knowledge at all of the of the the sweet taste of the curry that it's that it's immersed in. It has no capacity to to perceive that. And so Jiva uses that as an analogy. That's that's like the materialistic mentality that only sees the modes of material nature. I think what uh, there's another analogy like that, licking the jar of honey. You know, but the ladle is a more interesting concept. It speaks to the all all immersive nature of the material energy, and. Just think, if you could see, if we can develop spiritual vision, if we can see everything in relationship to the Supreme, if we can see Paramatma everywhere and in everyone and in everything and in every... In, and as the predominating force behind every experience that we have, if we can live life that way, then we're going to taste the sweetness of the Supreme everywhere. That's the consciousness of the sadhu. He's tasting. He's not seeing distinctions as we talked about. There's no distinctions. There's no distinction in his vision. Sarmadarshina. He's, he's seeing the truth everywhere. So that's his vision. Just as the ladle, if the ladle could just taste taste whatever whatever preparation it was it was in then that's that's transcendental vision so he uses this analogy of a ladle um, 
He quotes a verse, he goes on and quotes a verse from the uh, 11th canto. Know that everywhere you apprehend, I'm sorry, rewind. Know that whatever you apprehend, whatever you perceive, through the mind, speech, eyes, ears, and so on, is perishable and a product of maya and the mind. Then Jiva Goswami goes on, but no, but those who know the self, meaning those who know you, consider this whole universe up to and including the whole, the human beings, the conditional forms of the jiva, to be real, sought, due to their being a manifestation of the self, or in other words, as your form. The sense is that their sights are set solely on the real or not nominal sought aspect and not elsewhere. So that's their, their whole vision is based on this. Jiva goes on and, and he goes on and he elaborates on the gold merchant. Now I've never experienced this but I've seen it in movies. People go in and they take their gold to the to the to the gold, the pawn shop. And you don't notice the pawnbroker or the gold merchant looking at, at, oh, that's a nice ring or that's, no. He throws the whole pile, all the, all the aesthetic that's been added to the, the, the product, the, the gold, to make it into whatever beautiful form it's been made into, is insignificant to him. He really doesn't care. What's he care about? How much does it weigh? What carat is it? How, what's, what, what degree of purity is it? So he puts it on the scale, looks, separates it into different carat piles, throws it on the scale and says, I'll give you this. And then he throws it in the furnace. Whoa, that was my grandmother's <laughs> You know, heirloom. Did you want the money or not? You came here. I'm a gold merchant. I'm only interested in in what? In the gold, the essence. So, so he uses that analogy as analogous with the nature of how we should see in the world that everything, even if it's gold, even if the gold is covered with filth, we see it all as Paramatma. We see it all as the Supreme. And then he he concludes the Anucheta with a, a verse from the Vishnu Purana. This complete universe is conscious by nature. But the unawakened see only its material form. Are lost therein drowned in delusion. But those who are endowed with knowledge and intuitive insight, being pure at heart, O Supreme Lord, see distinctly this whole universe as conscious and as your own form. So some commentary is there. And I'll just summarize this Anucheta by relating a few verses that are uh, referenced in the commentary 
from Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita to bring out that this knowledge is is very it's it's the basis of what of, of the vision that Krishna was trying to give Arjuna on the battlefield. So how does the vision develop? Yayata Mamprapajante. All of them as they surrender unto me, I reward accordingly. Regardless of their disposition, they follow my path in all respects, O Prita. Then he talks about those in Maya. Veiled by my divine potency, I am not manifest at all to all. Therefore, the deluded world does not know me, the unborn and imperishable. Another verse to the delusion of not seeing with spiritual vision. Deluded by these material mental states, which are products of the three gunas of nature, this entire universe does not know me, who am beyond these material states and immutable. Oh, right, what about the people that do see? Bahunam janmanam ante janavan mad prapajante vasudeva sarvamiti samahatmas turlaba. After many births, the person endowed with the wisdom that Vasudeva is everything surrenders unto me such a great person as extremely rare. For one who sees me present everywhere and who sees that all things exist in me, I am never invisible to him and he is never unseen to me. The yogi who, being established in the vision of oneness, worships me as residing in all beings, abides in me under all circumstances whatsoever. Thank you so much for your kind association.